All right, so in this episode of the Tech Emergence Podcast, we interview Wired Magazine's Clint Finley on the topic of big data, what it actually means, and what its applications might be today. How, how would you ex- explain the idea of big data to the layperson? Okay, well, uh, see, the, in terms of the, the underlying technology of, of big data and why, why we call it big data now as opposed to just data or, you know, just because analytics has been around for a long time, people yeah. have been collecting data, you know, basically forever. Uh, it's a different approach to, uh, to gathering, storing, and uh, processing data. Uh, one of the most important things in terms of the storage and processing uh, is that we've moved into a, what's called a scale-out model instead of a scale-up model, and that was mostly pioneered by Google and Amazon. And uh, what that what that means is instead of having to buy big, expensive supercomputers, mainframes, and then buy a bigger mainframe every time you needed to store or process more data, is that you... Uh, by more just normal uh, commodity servers, what some people call them pizza box servers. They just, you know, they're just those plain racks. Yeah. So you just buy racks and racks and racks of these plain servers, connect them up, and uh, that actually works out to be a lot cheaper than buying uh, progressively bigger uh, mainframes. So it's not even necessarily that uh, that. Uh, we can store more data or process more data than was previously possible. It's a, it's more, more people can do that now. Uh, it's cheaper since it's become cheaper. It's not something that only the IRS can do or you know a handful of uh, major players on Wall Street can do. It's now something that pretty much any startup can can start to to play with. Uh, cloud computing has also played a big Role in that. I mean, really, cloud computing is the same. is based on the same principle of scale out architecture. Uh, so, cl- and cloud and big data are actually really closely related concepts. I think. Uh, but since you can, you can now go and rent time on Amazon's machines. You don't even have to go out and buy uh, these clusters of pizza boxes yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, you can do uh, some really interesting big data things that you know. With with a very small budget, and the other the yeah, other aspect of it is the uh, I guess would, would be some of the approaches to doing data that is, is geared more towards machine learning and uh, what they call now data science. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's it's also buzzwordy, and it's you know there's, there's there's some controversy as to what what qualifies as data science and what doesn't or when that started or when it didn't start. Uh, but I, a lot of people will say big data when what they really mean is data science, even though, and which makes it even more confusing uh, in the buzzword <laughs> world. Uh, but uh, data science deals more with, with dealing with uh, uh, unstructured data, uh, stuff that is, you know, if, if it comes into a normal Excel spreadsheet in a, in a nice orderly format, uh, that's probably that probably isn't data science. If it comes to you in the form of a uh, a hard drive that has text files and uh, CSVs and PDFs and 
uh, raw log files from something and you have to make sense of all this data and try to find patterns and correlations and you end up doing machine learning uh, to try to you know make sense of all this stuff and process it that's probably data science and so sometimes data science deals with big data uh, doesn't necessarily always but I think uh, the way things have gone is that big data kind of ends up referring to uh, not just uh, the, the amount of data that you have, but also the speed that data comes in, and then uh, really messy or unstructured data. So in that way, you could say that maybe that data science falls under the same, is, is, a, is a branch of big data, but um, again, that's not... Um, not easy uh, to put your that's finger not on the like construct. I don't know, there's not really... There's not universal agreement about that sort of thing. Cool. Uh, so anyway, um, I don't know. That's a that wasn't as concise a definition as I might have liked <laughs> to have given. But, uh, Maybe it's not always cool. super concise, but at least a little yeah. bit clearer in my mind that concept of um, scaling out as opposed to scaling up, which seems interesting. Um, and uh, obviously, the working with unstructured data. I was actually not as familiar with what the term data science meant until right now, so that's cool. Um, in terms of applications now, I think a lot of people know, like, um, you know, big data is often associated with big companies, um, although it doesn't need to be. As you had mentioned, uh, startups can have access to a lot of this information, be, begin playing around with it, uh, making meaningful use of it. People think of, you know, Facebook pooling all this various information about ages and dates and stuff and using that for advertising or, um, you know, think about it as, in terms of... Uh, finding patterns for crimes across different states or even across the globe and discerning, you know, the likelihood of someone to escape to this location versus this location or whatever. Um, what are what are maybe some of the more subtle but, but still very pervasive applications today of big data that are maybe influencing the world around us in ways that people like myself or, you know, your average guy who doesn't study big data all the time might not even be aware of? Um, let's see. I mean, you mentioned two of the big ones, the advertising and crime. Um, I think it's some other things. One one interesting area uh, that I wrote about a few years ago is a, a, a I can't remember the name of the company, but I can send it to you. Uh, I can send you the article. Cool. Um, it was a, a terrible. It was a bad article. I didn't do a very good job, but um, <laughs> it it'll at least tell you the name of this company and kind of what they're doing. But they're uh, so th there's this problem in pharmaceuticals in that uh, different people sometimes react to different drugs differently. And so a drug that has a, uh, a negative side, of, uh, side effect in even a, a relatively small percentage of people who take it, uh, that, can, that can lead to a drug not coming to market. Yeah. But if you can figure out, if you can predict who is going to be sensitive to it, or, or, and there's also trouble, sometimes there's a small number of people who a drug works really well for, but it doesn't work for most people at all. Yeah. But if you can predict who it's going to work for and who are going to have really bad side effects uh, in advance, then you could potentially do a better job of prescribing things and you know, potentially a, a, a wider range of drugs could come to market that uh, otherwise wouldn't because they weren't effective enough in, in enough people. So you could actually get into like really niche targeting of pharmaceuticals, essentially. Oh, well, that's pretty really cool. Yeah. Based on maybe uh, genes or other factors. Genes, neurostructure, or just if you responded badly to uh, one drug, drug or, in the past, yeah. they, could, 
that they can figure out other people like you did this. And that's the same sort of thing of like with Amazon, other people like you bought X. Yeah, and yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's which you know isn't always the most accurate thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you spend but much it, time on Amazon. I imagine that uh, uh, that would fall more more in the category of advertising, correct? Right, but it's the, the, the same, some of the same basic principles. Yep. You can figure out that people, uh, you know, of a certain type respond or don't respond to something. Yep. Uh, um, so maybe some other startups, even off the top of your head, who are, who are leveraging. Okay. Well, one one company I've I've written about. Well, actually, I haven't written much about them, but that that, that comes up a lot because I, I'm really uh, I've been looking a lot at like data. Uh, at work, like the quantification of work, uh, and I'm really interested in where things are going with the company Clout, which is K L O U T. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but, you know, they they try to assign a a, a, a ranking for for people of how influential they are on social media, and it's uh, you know it was created I think for marketers to try to you know target influencers and then get them, you know, give them bargains or something on something. With them. They'll <laughs> yeah, tell, yeah. since they're influencers, they'll tell everybody, hey, yeah. uh, this airline is great, or hey, this, <laughs> this airline yeah, 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 is, yeah. is delicious or something. Uh, but it's kind of ended up, uh, it's, it's become of a, a, a interest to employers, it seems like, as a way to determine um, if somebody's really knowledgeable about a topic or uh if uh, you know, it just it, you know, if do they know do they know about social media in general, uh, which isn't really what they were meant to do in the beginning. Um, and I was actually oh, there you you there there. Yeah, you did it based off of uh, tracker, not clout. But I was like the number three person on that, which I think was, uh, I don't think I'm being modest in saying that I uh, don't think that I was the third most influential person. I think it was much, should have been much lower on that list. Uh, but, you know, it's given me, because I was on that and because it has sort of the Forbes brand attached to it, it's benefited me. I got invited to speak at this conference in Barcelona um, and some other things. And so it's it's just really interesting in that it's met, that has made me more influential. So it, there's this cool. sort of data feedback loop that it's created, uh, so that if it wasn't if it wasn't true then it's become it's becoming true at least that if if not the number three most influential person then you know at least an influential person on this subject. And what was the uh, just for my curiosity because it cut out a little bit the audio. What, what were you ranked number three for? And it was do you say it wasn't cloud? It was some kind of tracker. It was called tra yeah, tracker with like two A's and no E or something like that. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, two A's, no E. Got it. Tracker. Uh, Cool. And you were the third most influential guy on um, what on was the data. big data? Okay, got it. Oh, that's awesome. So now yeah, you're saying it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Problem because uh, you know people are getting ranked by this thing that it's it has nothing to do with you know their 
their employers. It's it's this you know entirely third party weird company out there that's you know pulling out data that's that's out there in the public. Like anybody who's on Twitter has a cloud profile. They're, they're ranking everybody. You have to opt out of it. Wow. To opt into it. So it's, it's it's this thing that's out there and that's available to anyone with a uh, on anyone who has a publicly facing Twitter account. And so that uh, it, it starts to sort of you know, it's it's you know this algorithmic interpretation of, of you as a person based off of your social media presence. And I. I find that disturbing and fascinating in a lot of ways because it's, you know, some people are, I think are going to benefit unfairly from it like I did. And I think some people are going to end up being penalized by it unfairly. Uh, I mean, one of the, one of the issues is, you know, not everybody really treats their Twitter account as a, uh, as a marketing platform for mm, themselves. Certainly not. They're not necessarily always pushing, um, you know, the, uh, pushing content that's relevant to their profession. Yeah. Uh, so my my co-host for I, I do a, a, a podcast called Mind the Cyborgs with this guy Chris Dancy, and I had interviewed Chris for uh, for Wired before we did. A, I decided to do a podcast together, uh, and he, what he told me is that he tries to see himself the way algorithms see him. He tries to be really mindful about how he uses social media in that wow. way, of, with the recognition that uh, everything that he's putting out there is being interpreted by a machine somewhere, as mm. well you know, as well of course by by people. And he, you know, he wants to not waste people's time. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, it, it's kind of similar to SEO. Like you, the best way to um, to do SEO has always been to actually have relevant content. And so the best way to do social media optimization or cloud optimization is to, you know, actually do a good job of, of, of what you're doing. Just but at the same time, you have to think about what, uh, you know, how, how that everything you're putting there is going to actually reflect on you, either by, you know, in the human mind or by an algorithm. So I think that's, that's really interesting stuff. That's, and you'd mentioned the uh, the potentially disturbing side of some of those things. I think the the term big data has mixed associations, as you were just kind of brought up. I think in general, I, there's another buzzword, the metadata thing that's going around. I have no idea. I haven't really dug in that far into it. But I know there's a lot of concerns with um, whether it's privacy concerns or, or just other kind of information security concerns with regards to big data, the proliferation and use of big data. Um, what are those that you've seen uh, as of late that maybe have really piqued your interest in terms of uh, potential issues or, or things that people are up in arms about? I imagine some of them are silly, some of them are pretty serious. Well, I think they're all pretty... Most of what I've, I've heard about is pretty serious. Um, I, I think some people let their imaginations get ahead of them in terms of what the actual capabilities of the NSA are what facial, you know, how good facial recognition is, uh, and that sort of thing. But it's you know it's absolutely true that uh, that there's that um, government agencies and corporations are collecting you know just uh, unprecedented amounts of, of data. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, this has been going on for a long time. And credit card companies have been collecting this stuff, um, and the credit 
uh, credit ranking agencies. I mean, really, uh, oh, that, uh, that's a good analogy with cloud. To go back to that for a second, isn't mm. there a lot like um, a credit score, uh, where it's, it's this thing that it's, it's not really assigned by your bank. It's, like, it's this thing that sits outside your control, and then people who, um, you know, who, who have who make decisions that affect your life, whether it's whether to give you a loan or not, or whether to give you a job or not, can go and look at that and. Mm. Uh, and, and get this like score, you know, this number that represents you uh, or some some aspect of you. And you know, the only way you can influence that is by being aware that of how you know how they how they do that. Uh, so anyway, go come back to it. Yeah, I, I don't know how good facial recognition is, or you know how you know, how how good these systems are. I don't think that you know it's it's likely right now that you know. Just if you're walking down the street, a CCTV camera is going to take a picture of you and file that into a database that lets them know exactly who is where at any given second. But they are compiling an awful lot of data. It seems mostly on people who outside of the U.S. But there's you know uh, there's more and more stuff comes to light about what they what they've got on on all people is is pretty interesting. I haven't kept up with the particulars, so I don't want to repeat anything that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of those, those specifics. Uh, it, it, though, it, what's going to be interesting is what they can really do with it and I, uh, whether they can really mine any useful patterns out of it. I mean, the big question a lot of people have been asking since the NSA re- revelations came to light was, if this stuff is so great, why didn't it stop the Boston Marathon bombers? Yeah, uh, and I think you know they would probably the NSA would probably say, well, there's all these times where we stop somebody and we couldn't tell you about it. So yeah, it's one of those things where you only hear about it when it doesn't work. Yeah. But since they won't, since all this stuff is classified, we have no idea really how well it's working, what they're how they're how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But there's you know an incredible room, incredible amounts of room for abuse of this stuff because you know. It, Edward Snowden decided just to leak a slideshow about the fact that this stuff exists, but he could theoretically have pulled up some information about somebody that the NSA had collected and just released that. Um, if he had an axe to grind with an ex-girlfriend or something, you know, could he pull? Could he get that information and leak it to, uh, onto um, onto Facebook or something? I I don't know for sure that the answer is yes, and it probably. Depends depends on, uh, you know, if, if, it, it depends on a few things, but we don't know exactly what those things are, which is uh, another reason that people are so concerned. Uh, but there's, you know, if, if people have this much access to this much data, it's hard to believe that uh, the worst thing that's going to happen is that, you know, uh, a disgruntled contractor uh, leaks a slideshow. I, I think we're going to, we're going to start to see other people who have access to this stuff use it in more nefarious ways. Hmm. Other people and the, from the bias, I think, of, of big data in terms of what uh, it, you know, it's a, a Douglas Rushkoff talks about all the time that uh, technologies have biases; they're not neutral. There's a, a thing that they you know that they do that they uh, they lend themselves towards, and big data, if it if it has a bias, I think it's uh, to. Uh, to hoard data, to just compile insane amounts of data, because why not? You can get it, you can store it as long as you want, 
And if, yeah, there, it, there's this attitude uh, in uh, of, both in startups and I, I think maybe, uh, and, and definitely in the, the quantified self movement, and I'm guessing the NSA falls into it as well, of we should just collect everything we can because we never know when it's going to be useful or what we might be able to use it for in the future. Yeah. So even if they can't use it today to do anything, they might be able to use it 5, 10, 20 years from now. But again, since it's all there, if somebody knows what they're looking for, if somebody has, if somebody in public office or in one of these positions at the NSA or one of their contract, security contractors has an axe to grind with a private citizen that has nothing to do with uh, national security, they have access to stuff that they can, mm-hmm. they um, can use maliciously. And, and it seems like there's, you know, as you had mentioned, there's more than just giant governmental organizations that have all of this information. Um, and, and the notion that you had brought to, to light of, you know, hey, let's just collect it because one day we might use it, I think that that's, uh, that certainly has a lot of applications. Even in the world of marketing, um, you know, if, if maybe, you know, maybe you're not running direct mail right now, uh, but hey, one day you might run direct mail, and it sure would be useful to collect addresses if you could. You know what I mean? Or hey, you know we're not currently calling people to do upsells for things, but we end up going that route. There's no downside to having their phone number in there. So it sounds like that is pretty, you know, uh, not insidious in a bad way, but it's an easy. Uh, you had mentioned a bias towards yeah. compiling, compiling, compiling. Um, yeah. And, so, and that's another thing. In, in private companies, you know, you might trust. The company you're dealing with today, say Dropbox, but if, what happens if Dropbox gets acquired by another company and they decide to use data in a different way, or if they decide to interpret the terms of service that you signed up for under Dropbox in a different way? Uh, mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, there's so many of these hypothetical what ifs that if if it was just any one concern, you know, it's Maybe that's paranoia, but there's just so many different possible ways that things could go wrong when you have when yeah. you're giving over so much data to a variety of different companies. That and are, and where do you see? You had mentioned nefarious ways, just in terms of uh, you know rational concerns. You know, some people are like, oh man, you know they're gonna have uh, advertising show up on my Facebook account that they knew that I went to this concert, even though I never tweeted about it, blah, 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 you know, that would be so annoying. Obviously, you know, you and I are also talking about potentially more serious concerns, you know, than making fun of your girlfriend or getting an advertisement for, um, you know, for something related to something that you did that you didn't know anybody was tracking. What are those other kind of nefarious ways um, that you had mentioned that that are of, of some legitimate concern for you moving forward with these technologies? Yeah, I mean, all that... The idea of, of using some some leaked data for revenge or to to try to silence somebody is one thing that that comes to mind really easily. Of uh, if if somebody is uh, you know a critic of a uh, of a public official, could they find a way to find some data to embarrass or silence a critic? Oh. Or uh, or even in the in private industry, could you uh, find some? Some way to uh, intimidate or harass a competitor. Uh, I mean, if, you know, if you're 18 year old, if you're 18 years old today and you're putting stuff up on Facebook, and then 10 years from now you start a uh, Facebook competitor, 
you know, is somebody from Facebook going to go through your data and then say, hey, well, here's this, here's this stuff. It would be a shame if this ever got out, you know. Uh, so, uh, speaking of blackmail in many respects. It's blackmail, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's the term. There's, there's, yeah, uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of room for, for blackmail and intimidation. Uh, and that, you know, that's, I guess in some ways an extreme case. Uh, it, you know, that's, you know, it's illegal, so somebody would have to really knowingly break the law uh, to you to do this. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential for that sort of thing to happen. Uh, and then there's, you know, just uh, marketing accidents, the uh, target uh, uh, pregnancy thing. Do you know about that? It's one of no, no, I don't. It's interesting, though. Go ahead. Uh, so, um, uh, Target started sending. Uh, coupons for baby stuff to a teenage girl and her father got really upset and sent them a letter you know thinking that <laughs> he thought are you trying to encourage my daughter to get pregnant and then later on he found out she was pregnant and that uh, Target had figured it out before she did based off of her purchases uh, and so they had you know, their algorithm had figured that they had developed a method for knowing uh, when somebody was pregnant based off of their Purchases three months out, six months out, whatever, so that when it gets close to nine months, they need to buy a crib or whatever, so they'll start sending coupons for cribs. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so that's a huge privacy issue. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons that you might not want somebody in your family to know that you're pregnant, or that you might not uh -huh. want an employer to know that you're pregnant. And, uh, uh, you know, the advertising, the contextual advertising, uh, you know, is a a way that people can find out things about you. Um, and, and if your profile is being followed around, if you're looking at Facebook at work and you start to, you know, contextual ads start to pop up related to, you know, anything you don't want your coworkers to find out, they might see it. Yeah, um, big, big time. So whether that's something rather, you know, whether that's your political beliefs, your, you know, related to your religious beliefs or something, or if it's, um, you know, just something of a more personal, embarrassing sexual nature, you know, whatever it is, you know, that the contextual advertising can, can kind of reveal things about you if it's really, um, uh, if it, you know, if it's really accurate and, and, and if it's in a place where people are going to see it. Oh, the, the addendum to the, the Target story is Target actually changed up their approach to sending coupons where now they, they mix in the baby stuff with general stuff so that it's less obvious of what they're doing. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's, that's one way that companies can kind of get around that a bit. Deliberately show some random ads as well, or to mostly show random ads and then maybe just one, uh, targeted ad yeah, so that it's less obvious what people have been searching for, what, you know, what their interests are. That's... Uh, so it might, it might make less money that way, but mm. it would be a way to try to protect people's privacy, uh. Yeah, obviously their momentum is in the direction of, you know, they got to buy that paper and that ink, you know. So their 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 angle is most likely going to be leaning towards how can they make that profitable. But at the same time, it seems like maybe that play they got a lot of media, I imagine, from that. So that play is maybe to kind of make things a little bit more kosher, make big data a little bit less of a a threat and a privacy invader, and more of, um, you know, more kind of blended in, I suppose, and less less overt. 
Um, and, it, and that that brings up kind of the issue of transparency. Now, you had mentioned something. I figured this would be a solid topic to kind of roll into before I get into our last bit here. Um, of your friend thinking about what he's doing online as how are the algorithms interpreting it. Uh, there's people that make purchases and think about how are the credit scoring companies going to think about this decision or this decision about how I cancel this card or use this for this and pay this off at this time. Um, if, if, you know, Target's figuring out your daughter's pregnant before you you are, then that's another level of transparency. Everything that you've done, it's going to end up kind of making its way, coming back around. Um, is Is that... I almost feel like that overall conversation really isn't being had um, at present about what a world would be like if that much more info about that many more people is just out there and it's being used in leverage. I don't know what that does for society or if there's anybody out there thinking upon that on, on a deeper level. I don't know. One, one thing that Chris and I talked about in our most recent podcast, it's not, even, it's not up yet, the editing isn't done for it yet, uh, but we, we talked about um, uh, well he did he gave a, a talk in, in the UK and he was live broadcasting some of his uh, vitals um, his skin temperature his heart rate and he started to get really emotional during his talk and he started to um, to choke up a little bit and uh, you know when he did, when that happened there was the, the vital sign displays uh, on the projector that and then afterwards, uh, a woman came up and was talking to him and, and told him, you know, uh, I, I saw that you were getting emotional. Your heart rate did, did, did whatever. But she didn't mention, oh, I saw that you were choking up. You know, that was like the easy human thing. You can see somebody's, you know, how somebody is feeling by the sound of their voice, by the look on their face, by the way uh, they, they, uh, you know, the, the way their voice cracks if they're about to cry. And she wasn't, she's, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe she just didn't mention it. She only mentioned the stats. Mm-hmm. But it put me in the mind of people who end up not being able to navigate streets anymore because they rely only on GPS. What if that starts to happen with with how we relate to, to people? If, you know, if, if we start to get readouts of, of each other, you know, of like, here's how this person is feeling based off of their, uh, their vital signs. Are we going to start to lose some of that ability to pick up on non-machine readable cues about what people are, how people are feeling, and only be able to read them based off of their heart rates, uh, their heart rate <laughs> stats that they're sending to your Google class or something weird like that? Uh, it's, it's, you know, that's a, a fringe thing to be worried about right now, I think. And hopefully it's, you know, it's not something that we really need to worry about, but it's definitely an, you know, a possibility and odd thing to, to consider. Almost uh, like a minority and, but, report. But there's almost any kind of, I guess, any kind of sense that you can augment with technology can, you know, potentially start to become... Uh, you, you you can start to lose that without the technology. Because, yeah. You know, if you wear glasses, you start to become more you, even. What you know, people once they start wearing glasses, become more dependent on glasses. Once they start wearing them, uh, lots of things like that. So the more we augment with technology, the more we potentially lose when we don't have that technology. And uh, that's certainly been my case with GPS. I can say that much. 
I uh, wasn't born with a great sense of direction, but it's probably gone downhill without the uh, advent of being able to look at my phone. Um, and you had mentioned the topic of augmentation. I kind of wanted to roll into that as a last thing just so people can learn more about you as well. I was actually going to catch up with you on writing for a quick snippet once we're, uh, we're off here. But um, the, uh, your... Well, I don't know what your timeline is like, but I actually don't have any, any other appointments this afternoon, so this can run long. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, so I'll, I'll catch up. We can get a quick chat on the writing topic afterwards. I, I did want to cover okay. a little something because I want people to be able to understand you and find more stuff about you. Um, you mentioned your podcast, the mindful, the mindful cyborg there that you run in addition with your uh, your co-host. Um, is that you guys lean in kind of the more the the transhuman side of stuff in that particular regard, or what do you guys cover for the most part there? Out of my own curiosity, I think we're we're going towards like the um, like what what you can really start to do right now or very soon. So less about the really long term transhumanist stuff. So it's maybe come you know it comes up a little bit, but we're we were talking a little bit more about quantified self, and uh, QS is a big thing we talk about, and just and also just the way that things like Facebook even just uh, the, the technology and mobile technology GPS anything like that is, starts to affect our our minds and our thinking, and uh, you know we uh, we're both really interested in mindfulness meditation. And so we mix that in in terms of uh, what does it mean to be mindful and contemplative uh, in a uh, you know in a time period where everything seems to be meant to distract you or fracture your <laughs> your attention. Cool. Okay. Nice. Um, so a little bit more of the kind of the present the present extent of how emerging tech is kind of affecting our lives. Or yeah. okay. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.